In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. And Craig's List, best of 2018 episode. We are rolling and go. What? What? <laughs> what? Oh, wait. Carla, did we not get a host? Oh. Did, did, we, <laughs> did we not get a host for this episode? I think you're the host, babe. I'm the host? Yeah. You oh, don't, don't no. get paid very much, but. But yeah, this you're is the, the host. best of 2018. This is the Oscar episode. How can we not have a host for it? <laughs> All right, Craig's listeners. I guess I will take the reins on this. Welcome to Craigslist best of 2018, 2018, however you want to say it. 2018. Uh, we're going to do our top 10 movies, our top 10 performances of the year, as well as our Oscar picks for the major categories. This is a yearly tradition, which I know you're eagerly anticipating. Is this the third year we've done it? This is the third year in a row we've done it. Cool. You know how it goes. Every year, Carla will pick at least one Woody Harrelson performance in her top 10. <laughs> I don't know if that streak continues this year. Is that year. true? I did that two years in a row? Well, you had him for Edge of 17 and Three Billboards the last two years. Really? Yeah. Because when you said that, I was like, you're yeah, right. I would never put Woody Harrelson <laughs> in my top 10. You love Woody Harrelson. I guess I do. Admit it. That's really interesting. <laughs> And I don't know if he did anything this year, so I don't I don't think he's in your top ten. That's really interesting. I feel like I've learned so much about myself in this moment. <laughs> the type of person I am and the type of people that I like to watch. That's the deepest truth that we've arrived at in over two years of doing this podcast. Well, when you mentioned the performances, I'm like, yeah, I loved those performances. <laughs> but when you said Woody Harrelson, I did not connect the dots at all. So when you do your top ten performances list, it's just whatever you're feeling that morning. No, it's it's like... It's based on my emotional experience watching the person. Okay. Which is why it's rarely people that are nominated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I think, I think we'll get into that a little bit because I thought this was a great year for acting. Yeah, I did too. I had a really hard time making my list, not because I didn't know what to put on it, but because I had so many for everything. Yeah. It was a great year for movies, I think. I think it was a great year for movies too, in terms of depth, especially. Yeah. I, there are some years that are like top heavy. There's like four or five incredible movies, but then, because I do a top 25 for every year. And like my number 25 for this year is Black Panther. Oh, wow. Which would be in most people's top 10, if yeah. not top five, I would say. And I think it's a great movie. Yeah. But I've got it at number 25 because I think there's just more, there's things that I like more. <laughs> Uh, so I, I would say like, I think there, there was three masterpieces this year. Okay. Don't say what they are. Yet. I won't say what they are because obviously they're my top three movies. Uh, but then masterpieces, masterpieces. <laughs> but then there are dozens of excellent movies that yeah. are very hard to separate. So I agree. yeah, this was a great year and particularly for performances. I had a really hard time narrowing it down to top 10. Yeah, me too. I have 15 on my list. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, and I think 
I, I won't be surprised if our movie list is somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I always see more things than you do. But... I would be a little surprised. I've got some okay. things on You got it, some outliers that I, that in I don't there? I think you have on there. But I'm really interested in hearing your performances list because I, I imagine that we might be drastically different I this we year. Will. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, can I start by saying that there are movies that I did not get to this year that I feel bad about? Okay. What are those movies? Um, so these are movies that I started watching and then stopped, not because I wasn't interested. When I look at this list, all of these movies, I was actually very interested in, <laughs> but I was either exhausted because I'm working so much <laughs> and fell asleep or because I had to go to work. <laughs> so these are four movies that I I think that I will love when I finish them, but I can't really speak to today, unfortunately. And that oh. those are The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh-huh. Um, I got through half of that. That's really surprising because you're not normally a Coen Brothers fan. I'm not. But I think like in these short vignettes, I really get it. <laughs> and I have to admit that I did not care for Buster Scruggs. Really? I was super into it. And then I had to go to bed because I had to get up early the next day. And I would consider myself a pretty big Coen Brothers fan. But obviously, I'm in the minority because overwhelmingly, people have loved it. And I think I need to give it a second chance. Let's so watch it again. It did not register for me. The story, oh, we're going to do spoilers, you guys, because I don't know how to talk about movies without spoiling them. So just know that. But but It's I'll, been on Netflix for five months, guys. Yeah, but I'll say <laughs> that I'm going to spoil it before I do it, and then you can fast forward it if you want to. Um, the the <laughs> the story, oh, God, of the guy who's, um, oh, what am I trying to say? Never that- mind. I'm not going to spoil it because it does kind of spoil the whole thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. The the performance one, the guy who does Shakespeare and yes, yes. Okay. Fucking just ruined me. Yeah. That made me. I couldn't stop thinking about that for days. It's the guy who played Dudley in the Harry Potter movies, yes, right? Yeah. Is is ar- the armless and legless uh, character who uh, recites Shakespeare uh, with Liam Neeson? Is that it's who Liam Neeson? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty crazy. Okay. <laughs> Black Panther was another one I didn't finish yet. Right. And that was more just like I'm not a I'm not really into comic book movies. It's not your thing. But I do need to finish it. I, I understand that it's important for me to and watch. And you were that. you were into it. You were doing I was. It. Yeah. yeah. I just had to go to bed again. <laughs> uh if Beale Street could talk was one that I fell asleep in, which mm-hmm. is like very upsetting because I know I'm gonna love this movie. <laughs> I think it would probably be in your top ten. I think it would too, which is a bummer that I didn't get it done in time. I've really been trying to binge a lot of these movies and fit them in in the last couple of weeks. What happens is we get home from teaching class or doing shows like and we, we start movies at 1030 at yeah. night and then Carla falls asleep. Yeah. And it's such a bummer. But I, I have a feeling that would have been in my top 10 for sure. Um, because Moonlight was my favorite movie. Yeah. Of a couple years ago. Yeah. Barry Jenkins is a master director. And then Leave No Trace, which we started last night and I had to go to work. <laughs> yeah. But you were into it so far? I was super into it. I think those four movies would have had a good chance of being in my top 10 if I'd finished them. And then there were four movies that I didn't watch that I'm going to watch over the next couple of weeks, which are Annihilation, First Reformed, Tully, and Sorry to Bother You. Okay, cool. So those are four that I feel like I should have watched this last year and I didn't get a chance to. Yeah, those are all worth watching. Okay. I, I have a variety of opinions about those movies, but I think they're all very much... So I just wanted to say that at the beginning as a disclaimer Okay. for the rest. Those are your omissions. Yeah. I'm pretty good on catching up with everything. Uh, some of the ones I didn't get to yet are The Hate You Give... Oh, yeah. Uh, Hale County this morning, this evening, which is one of the documentary nominees. Some of the foreign films, uh, like, uh, Shoplifters and Burning, I have not seen. 
Um, but I pretty much have the uh, the major movies of the year covered. Great. Um, All right, let's jump in. You want to do our Oscar picks first? Um, or you want to save those for last? I think let's save those for last because it okay. will be easier to get through. And we will have talked about most of the movies at right. that point. Okay, cool. Let's start with Carla's honorable mentions for performances or – Let's do movies first. We do movies first. Yeah. Okay, cool. What- <laughs> Sorry that we didn't plan this better. That's all right. Carla, what is your number 10 movie of the year? My number 10 movie of the year is Free Solo. Right. That's uh, the a Han Solo story, right? <laughs> Did I? Is it the right title? Did I say the right title? No. You, you said the right title for months. I kept talking about, we got to go see this movie, Free Solo. Oh, right. And you're and like, is like that, that's the Star Wars movie? I was like, I'm not seeing that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we got tickets like a few weeks ago, right? And we, at Arclight and the guy who does the climbing, what's his name? Alex, someone. I follow him on Instagram now. Um, he was there doing a talk back afterwards, which we usually don't like because we get weirded out by Q and A's. Yes. <laughs> we get uncomfortable, I should say. Yeah. Um, when people start to fan boy and fan girl and fan person. <laughs> um, but he was great. He was, really funny and very informative and also just kind of like, I don't, I don't really care about movies. I just want to be climbing. (laughs) Yeah. Alex Honnold uh, is his name and he's a rock climber and he climbed El Capitan, just Mm -hmm. a solid rock face in Yosemite national park with no ropes. Yeah. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's the craziest thing. Obviously he lived to tell about it because they made the movie. Yeah. And w- at least we knew when we were there to see him talk that he had made it through. Not to know. be grotesque, but as we were sitting there, I just kept thinking, man, this guy could die because he's not going to stop. Yeah. But then I thought, but we all could die. <laughs> <laughs> and he's living more than the rest of us yeah, are. I mean, I mean, he's he's a fascinating person, and the footage that they have of 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 all rock climbing in the movie. I mean, there's a lot of it, not just the actual free solo uh, that he did, which is uh, obviously reserved for the end of the movie. They did, but yeah, the preparation and everything. The footage is just spectacular, yeah. and these cameramen were risking their lives too. Yeah, the the cameramen were really climbing alongside of him, or they would be set up on certain peaks and points <laughs> on the rock. Um, it's it's really, but it's also so much just about him and who he has, is as a person and his background and how. How uh, a brain can develop into the type of brain that would want to do such a thing. Mm. So they really explore that too. To the literally to the point where they do an MRI to see what's going on in his brain. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I I loved it. I just was like, in terms of, I think my top ten is all how my experience in the theater or at home watching the film. And for me, this was really exciting and terrifying and moving, and I teared up a lot. It'll probably be available streaming soon, but if it's still playing in your town on a big screen, definitely see it on a big screen. Yeah. Like it's so worth it. It did not make my top 10 for the year, but oh. I thought it, I thought it was a fantastic doc. Good year for docs. What's your number 10? And apparently Free Solo is now the favorite to win the Oscar, which I hope it does over RBG, which was compared to the other nominees is very much a run of the mill Uh, documentary because I think there's other movies in there that are way more special. I did not see RBG yet. Uh, Number 10, uh, I have The Incredibles 2. Really? I do. Good for you. (laughs) I thought it was cute. Uh, Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, 
it's a great Pixar film. Uh, The Incredibles is uh, next to Toy Story three, probably my favorite Pixar movie. Yeah. And this been what fifteen years since the first one, and so I saw this on opening night with a full house of people who were so excited, and a lot of them were like mid twenties, which meant they were like ten years old when The Incredibles oh, came yeah, out. You know, so it it was really fun and interesting to see like how far. I mean. Pixar is always cutting edge, but when you kind of chart their animation over the years, you see how far, uh, the, uh, technology. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> the technology advances. You know, mm-hmm. it's just incredible. Like this had some of the best action sequences of the year, mm. um, topping, you know, even the Marvel movies that I saw. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed it for sure. I, um, the, yeah, I enjoyed it. I just, it didn't wow me in the way I wanted it to. Cool. But how about Jack-Jack fighting that raccoon? That was one of my favorite things yeah. that I've seen in a long time. Jack-Jack is the breakout star of this He movie. really is. Like, yeah. so funny. <laughs> that, so funny. That sequence was fantastic. Uh, I'll go number nine. Great. Uh, I have Leave No Trace. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't finish it in time. I think it probably would have been in my top 10. And I was rewatching it with you and I think I might move it up even further once I finish it again. Like it's just so moving. Um, tell them what it's about because maybe some people haven't. Yeah. It, I mean, it, I think it came out earlier in the year, maybe, uh, late spring, early summer. Uh, it's the first movie since Winter's Bone by Deborah Granick. Uh, and Winter's Bone was almost 10 years ago, right? So she hadn't made a movie in a while. Winter's Bone, of course, the. That makes so much sense that it's the same filmmaker now that you said that. I didn't know that, but it feels a lot like that movie. And it's about a father and daughter, uh, played by Ben Foster and Thomasine McKenzie, uh, and they live in the woods outside of Portland. And then they kind of get, um, discovered by the uh by the local authorities and then they've been trying to live off the grid and then kind of forced to live on the grid and the father's suffering from ptsd and his teen daughter is kind of the the one keeping them both sane and alive and uh it's it's just a fantastic movie very understated very Mm -hmm. kind of slow and quiet but great performances at the heart of it yep i agree from what i've seen so far Cool. Uh, my number nine, Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, man. <laughs> I loved it. You loved it. I loved it, too. Yeah, don't say, oh, man, like you don't agree. No, no. It was, I said, oh, man, like that movie was awesome. <laughs> okay, good. We love Mission Impossible movies. We do. We, I definitely mix them all up after I've seen them. Yeah. But I remember this one, uh, because of the, the ending. And this one, which I won't spoil. Um, but it's so fun. The helicopter. The helicopter. It's yeah. so action packed and it's so, yeah, it's just like nonstop Tom Cruise at his best. <laughs> it's just really fun. I love just going and having, I mean, I, I'm not a huge action genre person, but when it's done well, I can really get behind action movies and this is done very well. Yeah, I think they're always first rate. Uh, I mean, Tom Cruise is just the ultimate movie star. He still is. He knows how to do it. Yeah. And you know, when you see a Mission Impossible movie, it's going to have the best action sequences of the year. And then they're, they're going to top themselves of what they did in the previous one. And, and all the supporting cast is so wonderful too. 
it's just really oh um alec baldwin who i am not a fan of in general but he's so great in this movie. yeah he really was <laughs> henry cavill who yes. is superman yeah uh, was such a great character to add and into Simon, the mix Simon for this Pegg one. Is so funny yeah and uh west bentley right yeah. we haven't we haven't seen it in a while too was he in this last one <laughs> or was that the one before? See, that's what I mean. It does. It gets a little blurry. I'm not gonna lie, but it's something I would definitely watch over and over again. They're not. They're not memorable after the fact, but while you're watching it, like it's you're totally, totally wrapped into up it. in it. Yeah, I. Yeah, and I guess that's another thing too. My top ten. All of these movies, I feel like I could watch multiple times. Yeah. What do you have at number eight? Oh, my turn again. Black Klansman. I also have Black Klansman at number eight. You do? I do. High five. Yeah. Yeah. I really, um, I mean, there's definitely in terms of like a narrative and structure, there's stuff that's kind of all over the place, which is fairly typical for Spike Lee. I, I would guess, or I would say, <laughs> um, but it's very effective and it was very, um, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. We talked about it. My friend Angie was in town and we went to see it and we talked about it for, for a couple of days afterwards, it just really affected me and moved me. And yeah, it's worth it. Spike Lee is very much like a kitchen sink director of like, he's just going to throw everything in there. You Which know? I don't know that he thinks that. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Spike, if he heard you say that, Spike, that this he would is what approve. You do. No, I'm be like, I'm no, sh- I make specific choices about what I'm doing. Cause I know what I'm doing. But I think his movies always reflect like whatever is on his mind at the time, you know, yeah. and, and certainly like race relations in, you know, 2018 oh, yeah. are, are very much on all of our minds. So telling a story that took place in the seventies, uh, but then, uh, spoilers, uh, for the, the, the credits just before the credits kind of segueing into Charlottesville and, yeah. and stuff that's going on now, like hit that's, a, that's a the huge kind of stuff, emotional punch. That's the kind of stuff that I usually don't like. It's so heavy handed, but it was just, we're all feeling, well, well, I don't know. I can't speak for you listeners, but I'm feeling angry and upset and scared. And just to go through this story, um, that took place years ago and then to have those modern day images, you know, just appear on screen out of the blue. It's just so effective. And it made me feel like not alone <laughs> in my fears. Like the whole audience was crying and, and applauding yeah. and it just felt so timely. It was a visceral experience seeing it in the theater. And yeah. that was another one. I'm glad that we saw early with a big audience mm-hmm. and the performances are the, the, there are a couple supporting performances that I wasn't crazy about, but overall, like well, what's his name? Denzel Washington's son. I'm sorry. John David Washington. He, he's that's it. There's going to come a time very soon when people aren't going <laughs> to say him Denzel's that. son. Cause he's so yeah. wonderful. Um, Adam driver who was nominated this year. Yeah. I mean, those performances are just key. Uh, did you not think Topher Grace was good? No, I thought he was great. Yeah. Yeah. As David Duke. I mean, like to me, it showed just like how mundane racism is yeah. just showing this kind of like lame kind of corporate-ish guy yeah um but also you know if, if you haven't seen it yet we're making it sound really heavy it's also one of the funniest movies it's of the super year funny too yeah. like the the dialogue is really great and john david washington is just so charismatic in in the lead like it was a really fun movie to watch i agree uh and then the the heavy and moving parts were really heavy and moving too yeah that scene 
uh, I won't spoil it. I'm just going to say the scene where he is with the picture, getting in the picture with the guys mm-hmm. that he's <laughs> protecting yeah. is upsetting and hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's great. I, I wish he had been nominated. I really do. I Especially thought, re, re, reviewing the actor nominees this year. He should have been in that category. Absolutely. He should 100%. have been nominated. Yeah. yeah. I think the SAG Awards did, but the Oscars yeah. did not. Uh, at number seven, if you only see one animated superhero movie this year, <laughs> don't see Incredibles 2. See Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yep. Did you have it in your top I 10? I did. I have it in, as number six. Okay. So we're close there. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Talk I about it was a movie, incredible. Talk about a movie that had everything. Like this also was maybe like the trippiest, most experimental movie of the yeah. year. It was one of the funniest. Like it had some of the best action sequences. Like it just checked all of the boxes. And like The Incredibles 2 definitely was like the front runner for animated movie along with maybe Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this movie came out just like a week before Christmas and blew everyone away. And now it's considered the front runner for Good. animated feature. Good. It deserves it. This, this would be my Incredibles too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I loved both movies, but I, I have to admit that Into the Spider-Verse just like, it's like the story of it is so well constructed. It is. Yeah. yeah. And I love a good, you know, sci-fi, multiverse, multiple dimension kind of thing. And I guess all the Spider-Men and from the alternate realities are all, all have their own comic books or have been mentioned in comic books. Yeah. Blacker, Ben, we went with Blen Black, Ben, Blen Blacker. Blen Blackler. Uh, and he was telling us that, which I thought was so interesting because I thought they just made them up for the movie. Yeah. No. So like there's a, there's a noir Spider-Man <laughs> or whatever. But to know that you're not a comic book nerd. Right. And that you could just walk in knowing very little and enjoy this movie as a movie, I think speaks volumes. Because I think some of the Marvel Comics Universe movies, you know, are a little too much for the fanboys rather than the general audience member who's walking in. Yeah. I did last year. I don't know if you know this, listeners, our two listeners. Um, But last year I spent a lot of time reading comic books. That's right. To at least be more aware of what it was and why it's important. Um, so I don't want to say that I'm not into comic books cause I do like some of them, but generally the mainstream comic stuff I'm not super into. Yeah. Yeah. But this was great. Okay. My number six, what are we on? Seven, seven, seven to all the boys I've loved before. <laughs> I have not seen this. It's wonderful. It's, I've, I watched it twice. I do have it in my Netflix queue. It's it's adorable. It's a romantic comedy and the whole premise. And when I saw the preview for it, I was like, this is going to be awful. But then I heard it was good and I watched it and it was fantastic. But it, the premise is that uh, this teenage girl um, has never really been able to connect or have a boyfriend, I guess. To But she's had crushes and she's written them letters over the years. And she loses the box of letters and the letters get sent to the boys. (laughs) And that's kind of the opening premise. Oh, wow. And it's adorable. The actress is adorable. The the guy who I should have written down their names. I'm the worst at this. Um, But the guy who plays her love interest is adorable. I mean, it's just I loved it. It's exactly the kind of movie I want to make. Is it an original screenplay or is it based on a it's YA novel? It's based on a YA novel. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And it really had, there's kind of been this renaissance of romantic comedies this year. And this is definitely one of them in terms of just being a really well-made movie. Yeah, I guess Netflix is really trying to emphasize that in their original programming, particularly like teen romantic comedies. Yeah. But if they're as well done as this, then that's great. You know, And I did watch a few of the others and those were okay. They were still fun, but this one I thought was the best. Yeah. You don't have the Kurt Russell Santa movie in your top 10, do you? <laughs> oh, I should have put him in my performances. <laughs> I loved that movie so much. Come on. Kurt Russell is Santa? Like, it was delightful. Do you want to revise your performances list? <laughs> I kind of do. I forgot. But man, that was a really fun. I'm not saying it was a great movie, but it was a really fun holiday film. And now that's going to be a yearly tradition for you, right? It is. is watching that yeah. movie. It's now in the. It it's the hard library. with these Netflix original movies sometimes because uh, you forget about them as movies. Yeah. Rather than just like oh this thing that I watched on Netflix. Totally. Yeah. But most of them they are putting out in at least a week in a theater in Los Angeles, so they do qualify right. for for awards. I was just talking. Excuse me, I just burped. That's disgusting. I was just talking to people about this last night about how that seems like a cheat. Yeah. <laughs> but. Whatever. I mean, whatever gets them more views, I guess. It feels like Netflix is getting more views than any movie, though. Yeah, I think yeah. they are. Uh, okay. Do so you think I'll like To All the Boys I've Loved Before? I think you'll think it's cute. Okay. I don't think it would ever be in your top 10. But I, again, I'm talking about my emotional response to these films. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just delighted to the point where I watched it the next day right away. I promise to watch it. Okay. Thanks. And number six, you have Spider-Verse. I do. I have First Man. Which I did not see. And you will not see. I don't like space movies. <laughs> uh, remind the listeners what your problem with space movies are. I forget. What's my problem? <laughs> uh, I think think about gravity in particular. Yeah. I just – I don't want to think about getting lost in space. Like it's infinite. <laughs> space is infinite. And so it makes me start to think about what I'm doing on this earth and why I should be here or why I shouldn't be here. And how it could all spectacularly fall apart at any second. Yeah. <laughs> it's just way, it makes me think into, like it blows my mind. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. <laughs> it's like more heavy for me than any war movie. Then First Man is probably not for you because <laughs> it's very much about like the solitude and loneliness of being the first man. You know, it's Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong. And I think when people started to hear that this movie was coming out in the fall, like, I think everybody assumed it would be the front runner for everything. Cause yeah. it's like Damien Chazelle, you know, coming off of La La Land, Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong. And, and you're almost like, Oh, how's there never been a Neil Armstrong movie made before? Right. You know? Yeah. 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 And the technology in this, I remember that word this time is cutting edge. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the, the space footage and then the moon landing in particular is just spectacular. But this is a very like quiet and understated movie. I saw it with four oldies. I saw it with my parents, <laughs> my aunt and uncle. Aww, and I thought it would sweet. be such a home run of like, it's always hard to pick, you know, when you're seeing a movie with a bunch of 70 and 80 year olds, I'm right. like, what do we take them to? Of like, first man, definitely. And my dad and my uncle were kind of lukewarm on it. My mother and my aunt hated it. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. And you loved it? I loved it and nobody liked it. And in general, I think people have been a little lukewarm on this movie. Well, that just goes to show you, don't judge what 70 and 80-year-olds should like. That's right. 
I should have taken them to all the boys I loved before. You should have. Your mom would have loved or, it. Or Into the Spider-Verse. I think they would have loved Into the Spider-Verse. But I love Ryan Gosling's performance in this. You know, it's just not, it's not Apollo 13. It's not like rah-rah heroism. You know, it, yeah. it's, uh, it's about this guy who's very much like a cipher, who's hard to read, uh, and you know, doesn't communicate well. Yeah. So it's a little like the accidental tourist. Oh boy. <laughs> that way. It's, no, the, thank you. it's the accidental tourist in space is what it is. Okay. Next. Number five. Widows. Yeah. I have it at number two. Whoa. Yeah. We really liked widows. And I'm astounded. Like this is another movie. Like when we saw it, we're like, Oh, this is the front runner for I everything. For sure. When we watched it, we, we left and we were with our friend Jacqueline and we were all like, that was amazing. <laughs> Best ensemble cast of the year. I, I, so. I think in terms of like, there's like yeah. 10 people giving amazing performances. Yep. In this. And it's, it's a heist, you know, so it's a thriller on one level, but then it's really kind of like a social commentary movie about modern day Chicago, yep. you know, like it, it checks so many boxes, but I guess this movie also kind of left some people cold or disappointed. We've talked to so many of our friends who disliked it. Really? Yeah. Like so many of our friends that I've tried to talk to about it are like, ugh. what were their reasoning? They just felt like it was all over the place and that the heist wasn't that exciting and that it, that they, you know, marketed as a heist and it's not really about that. It's and a character study. Yeah. I thought, gosh, that final scene is one of my favorite things. My, one of my, we should do top scenes next year because mm. there were so many movies where like there was one scene that just elevated it for me. Yeah. And I never understand arts, artsy kind of choices. <laughs> And I felt like when that was over, I totally knew what it meant. And then we talked and you thought it meant something different, but I also could see why you would think that it meant that. Right, right. Uh, like it just, it was next level for me. I thought the, all, the performances across the board were incredible. I really admire Viola Davis. Did I say that right? Viola Davis? Yeah. Um, I've never, I've always been a fan of hers and never been a fan of any of her movies. <laughs> Like, I've just not, like, the help, I was just like, I guess it's fine. Like, I d didn't get into it. Yeah, that movie was not that well done. Um, What are some other movies? Uh, Doubt. I, yeah, but I mean. Fences. Shoot. Fences. We both had her in our, our top ten That's for true. Fences. That's true. Fences, But that she movie was, was. But it was okay. It was too stagey. Yeah. Um. What else? I mean, she's been in a million things. Yeah. But. Anyway, this movie, I was, I was finally like, yes, she's amazing in a movie that I think is amazing, you know? Yeah. And then it just, it's not, it's not connecting to people, which is a bummer. She was the badass male lead that Liam Neeson normally gets to play. Yeah. You know? And I thought that the twists and turns of the plot were legitimately, you know, surprising and off. interesting. I thought the, the, the exploration of gentrification and, politics in in those gentrified neighborhoods was so interesting and i thought that what's his face was great what's the guy who played the politician colin farrell colin farrell I, I, really somebody was. who i really don't give a shit about at all normally and i thought he was fantastic in this movie yeah it almost made you want to see 12 years a slave to see oh. more steve mcqueen movies right you know <laughs> i still haven't seen that yeah I should though. That's, I know. that's a tough watch, but he's a, I think a fantastic director. He I think is. the marketing deserved this movie because I think people were expecting just a little more of a straight up thriller. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at number five, I have eighth grade. 
Oh, and number five. Oh, let's talk about eighth grade then. I loved eighth grade. Not in your top 10? It's not in my top 10. It would be in my top 15. Yeah. I really liked it a lot. Uh, so I, the, it was hard to make this list this year. Yeah. You know? This is the directorial, directorial debut of <laughs> Bo Burnham, uh, who's uh, the comedian and uh, singer. And uh, this was just so surprising that this movie was so deep and uh, and well-made. I mean, this had one of the best scenes of the year, too, when yeah. she's left in the car with a boy. Yeah. Right? Uh, Elsie Fisher is the young girl who's the lead, and she's just she's wonderful. so natural and, and fun. And her dad is played by Josh Hamilton, a veteran actor. And they they just have such, uh, I guess, uh, dads and daughters, you know, because like Leave No Trace, like, uh, had like such an emotional impact on me. And this movie did too. And I think it really took me back to, you know, 13 years old. And I can't imagine being a kid in the social media landscape. So I, think- I can't imagine having a kid. Like it really was a great form of birth control for me to watch <laughs> this movie. <laughs> and this movie won the WGA for original screenplay. Did not get the Oscar nomination, but the uh, WGA gave it the uh, original screenplay. It's absurd award. that it didn't get the Oscar nomination. Yeah. Um, Roma got an Oscar nomination for best screenplay, mm-hmm. which I would totally disagree with. <laughs> Even though I liked that movie a lot. Because it's a very nonverbal movie. Right. Exactly. Like this one, I was just listening to this other podcast on the page um, and they were going through the the nominees and they all were like, eighth grade should have been nominated. All of the the ums and the likes and the uhs in the movie are scripted. Yeah. Of course they are. Yeah. I mean, not of course they are. It feels very improvisational. It feels very real. (laughs) But they are very purposeful and yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see what Bo Burnham does next. Yeah, I I can agree with that being in your top 10. It could have easily been in my top 10. Cool. Number four? No, my number five. Oh, your number five. Is A Quiet Place. I have A Quiet Place at number four. What? High five? We didn't even see this together. (laughs) No, I I saw it first. This was another one I saw with a full crowd. Yeah. And to see a movie that is mostly silent – for the whole thing, you know, but, uh, especially for the first, you know, half of it and the, the amount of tension in that audience was so palpable and it was such like a, an, another like visceral, uh, movie to see on the big screen with a crowd. I don't, again, like just like widows, I don't understand how a quiet place isn't nominated for anything. Yeah. It blows my mind. It's not, it's a great movie, but it's also like, just because it made a lot of money doesn't mean it shouldn't be nominated or that it's not fantastic. Well, that's why the Oscars have to have that popular movie category, right? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You know that they were going to add a category called popular movie. That's so dumb. And they got so much criticism for it, they decided to abandon it at least for this year. But I don't think it's off the table entirely. The good thing is that Star is Born and Black Panther did get nominations. But also, oh, I'm going to say something that's very divisive. Okay. Let the Oscars change whatever. Who cares? <laughs> like people are so angry and I get it. Like of, I think cinematography definitely should be on during the live broadcast, but whatever. Like at the end of the day, it's just this silly awards ceremony. Yeah. I don't know. Like the, the internet outrage about everything is exhausting to me. It, who cares if they don't have a host? Maybe it'll go faster, you know? Yeah. 
Like I just, it's there's really so many things to be upset about online. This is not one of the top yeah. 200 priorities. I don't think so. Yeah. It's so hard because I mean, I'm an, a big Oscars fan to the point of maybe being an Oscars apologist at times, but I think everyone agrees like the ceremony needs to go faster. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's too self celebratory. Um, I, I saw Paul F. Tompkins tweet of like, uh, why don't they just get rid of those montages celebrating the movies? <laughs> you know? Yes, like, totally. Every year they like take five years to show of like, here's all the famous scenes that you see every year at yep. the Oscars. You don't need any montages. Oh, a hundred percent. And then they would save all that time and, and be able to keep the awards. Yeah. Cinematography and editing or whatever they were trying. But to then do. relegating those categories to the commercial breaks, like took such a big PR hit as well. Yeah. And. Yeah, because each of those awards represents a different branch of the academy. Yeah. I mean, the easy thing to do would be like, let's drop the shorts, you know, but then right. you've got the whole shorts branch and documentary branch, you know, that would. No, I think that's a great idea. Just get rid of all the montages and the whatever. Yeah. Agreed, Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> okay. I loved A Quiet Place. I was super happy that Emily Blunt won the SAG this year. It's Didn't a great she? performance. She the, like, yeah. John Krasinski had one of the most heartbreaking performances of the this year. This movie just tore me apart. Yeah. It tore me apart. I thought it was incredibly well done. I think John Krasinski, like I could never care about him at all in anything, but this like totally put him into the next level for me. Yeah. Push him to the next level. Parents and kids again. That What's seems to be a recurring on? theme throughout. I guess we got to have kids, Craig. <laughs> no, you said it was birth control. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. We so, loved it. A Quiet Place. Okay. So that was my number four. Your number four is? Minding. Uh, nope. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. No, that was my number four. What did I skip? We're confused. <laughs> Start with your number 10. Free Solo, Mission Impossible, Black Klansman, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Spider-Man, Into the Universe, Widows, A Quiet Place. Okay. That's seven. That's my top seven. Or er. okay, so quiet place was your number four, and it's my number four as well. Oh, okay, great. Okay, great. Sorry, oh boy. What's your number three? My number three is minding the gap. Mm. Okay, so this is another one of the documentary nominees this year. I want to say my top three, depending upon the day that you ask me, they could be one, two, or three. Uh, tell our listeners what minding the gap is about. Minding the gap is a documentary about three. Uh, teenage boys um, from uh, what was it Rockford Rockford Illinois Illinois um, who skateboard <laughs> <laughs> is what it's about and then the other things it's about are um, father son relationships um, abuse child abuse physical emotional abuse and like how that's kind of passed down through generations and how it's hard to break the um, the chain of that type of yeah. attitude. Would Which you was, say that that's accurate? Yeah, I think that's very accurate. And also just kind of like the economic downturn of the Midwest yeah. too. And how that affected these relationships and the pressures on these families. But the idea of it being, uh, it, it, it does really kind of take a turn of like you thinking that it's like, oh, it's a straight up like skateboarding yeah. documentary into being about, uh, domestic abuse you know what was so surprising it was it was yeah and then also like the filmmaker 
is one of the boys in the film. Yes. And one of the men because he started shooting this footage years ago. Um, I would say the footage spans probably seven or eight years. Is that, would you think that that's true? Yeah, I think so. Um, and he's only like 26 or something now. Like he's so young and he's got such an incredible eye and the footage of him on the skateboard. Basically he's following these boys skateboarding as he's skateboarding behind them. And it's like, so it feels interactive. Like you feel like you're on the skateboard and like, I really got the sense of, what it would feel because that's not anything I'm ever going to do. Right. <laughs> like it gave me a sense. It, it it gave me so much understanding of why they would go to skateboarding to skate away their troubles and their problems. And like it just put it did it did for me what great movies do, which is put you in the position of somebody whose background or point of view you may not understand and helps you empathize with them. And I'm going to cry talking about it because I just <laughs> loved it so much. And I just kept thinking about it. Like I'm still thinking about it. And in terms of the exhilaration of all the skateboarding footage and the emotional wallop of all the, the, the heavy stuff in their lives, you know, uh, it, it really is this emotional ride. Yeah. Yeah, this I think is my favorite of the nominees uh for best documentary. I I think Me it too. should win. I do too. Um I think Free Solo might be a little more uh dynamic just because of the subject matter, but this one had a, a more of an emotional uh wallop for me. Did I not- wish I had seen it in a theater. We watched it at home. Yeah, it's streaming on Hulu. So if you haven't seen it yet, Craig's listeners, uh look for it on Hulu. It's r- very much worth your while. Yeah. Uh, number three, I have the favorite. Oh, I have that as number two. Okay. Then I think we must have the same number one then. Okay. Well, let's talk about the favorite first. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I think it's a masterpiece. I do too. I would say it's a masterpiece. I would say my top three are masterpieces. And if you are, are afraid of seeing like a stuffy English movie about royals, uh, if you've seen too many of those, I watched this movie right before I watched Mary Queen of Scots, which is the g- most gigantic snore fest <laughs> you will ever see and is exactly like the boring, uh, English royal movie that you think, uh, it might be. Uh, the, the favorite is just one of the liveliest movies of the year. When you were watching Mary Queen of Scots and I came in and I asked what you were watching and you were like, do you want to watch it with me? I was like, no, I've already seen Elizabeth. <laughs> Yeah. That's what it feels like. Exactly. Okay, sorry. There's no need to We make, don't need to harp on this movie too. There's much. no need to make that movie. Uh I mean it's a movie that made uh Sir Sharonin and Margot Robbie look boring. Which is insane. Yeah. Because they're both amazing. But the favorite has three incredible female performances, uh Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weiss. And just the machinations between the different characters, like it's thrilling, it's dark, it's funny, it's yeah. surprising. I was surprised. That That's the best adjective I can think of to describe it. Like, totally surprising. From scene to scene, I had no idea what was going to happen. I was not a fan of The Lobster. Yeah, this movie is by Yorgos Lanthimos, who is the Greek filmmaker who makes these weird, dark uh anti-comedies almost. But this, I think, is the first one he's made off of somebody else's script. 
Yes, that's true. However, I just listened to Marin. Okay. Interview with Marin. And the woman, this woman's script, it sounds like this, it, the script was very different. When, okay. Until, and then and he, he made on, a lot of changes. He came on board and he hired another screenwriter to help him. Interesting. Um, shift the tone. Uh, he said the basic story was there, but that he had different ideas on tone and using the humor to kind of bring it to life. And, uh, anyways, it sounds like the woman who is nominated for best screenplay for the favorite, I think it's just one name. Well, I think there's two there credited are. writers. Oh, okay, so I good. think they're both nominated, but that's the weirdness sometimes of writing credits yes. for movie because the WGA, you know, it goes to like arbitration of who gets the credit or whatever. Yes. And they, these people may not have even met or worked with each other. I, and I think that that's true in this case or close enough to be true. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think that even though it wasn't technically his script when he came in, he made it his script. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Is how it sounded when he was speaking about it on Marin. Um, yeah, I mean, I had, I just had no idea. I thought I was going to go in, watch, and watch, and see a movie about two women vying for the queen's attention, which is true, but there's so much more going on. It's political manipulation. It's sexual manipulation. It's, um, just heartbreaking and also hilarious. Yeah. And it's a great movie to watch three women using. It's just, you don't often get to see a movie where women are vying for power in a feminine way. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, I feel like you get to see how women get what they want by being women and not having to act masculine. Do you know what I mean? That's a great way of saying it. Yeah. And that, that just really blew me away about this film. It's, it's kind of a divisive film, I think. Yes. Even though it's getting nominated for a lot of stuff, a lot of people that I've met and talked to or that I know and have talked to about it did not like it. I think my sister said she turned it off after 15 minutes, which is insane to me. <laughs> that makes me feel like she needs to sit down and try again. <laughs> yeah. I think she would really like it. It's hard because. Uh, a lot of our friends like in the industry are watching things mostly at home on a screener, you know, and it just is never going to have the same impact. I think when you can like walk out of the room to go to the bathroom or get up to get a drink, you know, this was another one that we were like front and center, uh, at Arclight on the big screen. And it was such, such a great experience, but I'm excited to see it again too, because we have, we have the screener. I know we will watch it again. The performances across the board are incredible. The supporting performances. Um, the guy from About a Boy. What's his name? Yeah, Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt. Did so, we just talk about him? No. No. Uh, Nicholas Holt is in it and he's hilarious and awful. And of course, Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weiss and, um, Emma, what's her face? What's her butt? <laughs> <laughs> Emma Stone. Watson. Roberts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stone. Emma Stone. Um, I really appreciate Emma Stone's choices. I think she does a, with the exception of Hawaii, I feel like she does a pretty good job of <laughs> finding things that are challenging and different. Um, and this, this for me was a surprising choice after La La Land. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the only thing she's done since La La Land, but it's probably one of the bigger things and good for her. Like it's a supporting part, but it's so memorable and it, it lets her really do things I've never seen her do. She's very smart. I mean, she works with, uh, Great directors. Yeah. Like, I, I think she has a good grip on 
how her career should go. I guess she, like, I don't think that she auditioned for this, but she definitely were in talks and, and he asked her to get a vocal coach. Hmm. Um, not a vocal coach, a dialect coach, a dialect coach before he officially hired her and she did it. Which I think is so cool. <laughs> I think coming off the trailer, like we were already intrigued with this movie by the trailer, but you were also like, ah, Emma Stone, I don't know. And yeah. then like you watch the movie and like she fits right into that world. Yeah. And it feels so modern, even though it's a period piece. And I think that's what you were saying earlier. Like yeah. it's not your typical period piece. But in terms of like depth and metaphor and thematic stuff, like the, this movie has it all. And Olivia Coleman just is the greatest. Yeah. She's wonderful. Oh, I loved it. It could be number I maybe it's number 1 for me. Like I can't tell with this these top 3. Yeah, I had a, t- a tough time in my top 3 as well. What's your number 2? Or did you Widows, say? which we covered already. Widows, great. And then so your number 1 must be Roma. My number 1 is Roma as well. Yeah. You just dissed the screenplay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to diss it. It's not that it's not um it's just like you don't think of because it's not structured very well. <laughs> right. It's, it's not, a sensory experience. Yeah. And when, and even the main plot points, which are very minimal, are really like inundated with visuals. Yeah. To the point of you don't even really realize that it's a plot point or that it's something you're supposed to be paying attention to. So that's why I would say that it's not a screenplay necessarily nominee for me. Yes. But. Man, this movie. Guys, if you thought you would listen to this podcast and that I cannot watch black and white movies that are three hours long, <laughs> foreign mi- films, you were wrong because I loved this film. And this wasn't that long. Wasn't it? It felt like three hours. I mean, because it's slow, you know. But How it, long was it? Maybe it's two hours, 15, something like that. Okay. But yeah, it's it's Mexico City in the early 70s, so it's very uh based on Alfonso Cuarón's own upbringing. It's a well-off family and then they have this live-in maid and nanny and it really centers around her. Uh Yalitza Aparicio is the actress and she's a first-time actress. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's really just kind of like giving a voice to uh, a character that is normally an afterthought if ever put on the uh, the big screen. Yeah. And uh, he just wanted to make this movie to honor her. And uh I mean it's a He's crying, you guys. <laughs> but this ha- this is one of those movies that was simultaneously released in theaters and on Netflix, you know, so it's easy to watch on Netflix. This was another one we saw on the big oh, screen. If we hadn't seen it on the big screen, I don't think I would have been as affected as I was. Because you can just wash in the cinematography which is it's insane the amount of things that he fits into a frame like the the levels of (laughs) just things hanging in the background that you just kind of notice and realize that they have everything to do with what's taking what's being said yeah and then like at one point because we saw it at the vista at one point i was like who's outside making all that noise and then i realized it was it was just a sound in Surround the background. Sound. Yeah, in the background of the that was totally dislocated but would have made it feel like you were in in the city at that time. Like somebody down the street was yelling that. And then there's dogs barking in every scene, <laughs> which drives me insane in real life when our neighbor's dog is barking constantly, but like it just felt so appropriate for the environment and for yeah. 
for the environment. I don't know, you guys. You got to see it if you haven't seen it yet. It's another one. Like I don't know if it's playing in your town on the big screen, but uh, the the sound in particular, I believe, is some sort of new technique in surround sound that was oh, is it that I think developed by Quaran for this movie, oh and it it was it was so cool. But this is like I said, a total immersive sensory experience, and maybe the scene of the year. Yeah. I know, I'll start crying if I talk about it. So, yeah. yeah. But to talk about another scene, and because if we talk about the scene of the year in this one, we'll spoil it. Yeah. But to talk about another scene earlier, there, sh- this woman, she's looking for somebody and she's like in this field and it's muddy and they're walking across these boards so that they don't get their feet muddy. And just in the background, <laughs> a human cannonball <laughs> yes. shoots out. Yes. And it's not the focus of the scene. The focus of the scene is watching this woman trying to get where she's going. And it's just like happening in the background, but it makes absolute sense with the environment that he's showing you. And it's it's crazy. It's so well done. I loved it. Okay, you're right. This is the number one movie of the year. And it kind of like, it covers like both like the film geek in me that's like looking for like inventive shots and, you know, interesting cinematography and then the emotional, you know, quality in, in you, you yeah. know, but we, we, we're complex. We can be both things. We can be both you know? things. I can appreciate Carla's a the film nerd too. Stuff. And I'm yeah. also clearly a very emotional person. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and her performance is just, it doesn't feel like a performance and maybe it's not, maybe it's yeah, a, just a fully realized thing that she understands and whatever it is, whatever she does on screen. And I don't mean to discredit her. It, you know, she's clearly playing a character or whatever, but gosh, I'm trying to compliment her. She's incredible. <laughs> yeah. All in the, the supporting cast is incredible. Um, I, I, I do want to see it again. It's something I could watch again. Yeah. It's that, it does that thing that I was talking about before, which is it puts you in the place of somebody that you're maybe not familiar with and makes you feel like you can understand their day-to-day life. And, you know, race obviously is like the the big American theme, but we don't think about it in Mexico as much. And right. the idea of her being a native woman, uh, too, is such a big part of who the character is and how which she's is a viewed controversy in society. That yeah. Alfonso Cuaron is dealing with, I think. Or I don't know if he's dealing with it, but it's been brought up. No, he's up. been criticized for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not able to speak to any of that in those terms. But in terms of a film that makes me empathize and understand another culture, like this is just, I want everybody to have to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Let's move on to our performances. Okay. How are we doing on time? We're good on time. Great. So this is impossible for me. Here's some. Oh wait, let's do our. I'm sorry, let's do our honorable mentions for top movies real quick. Oh okay, yeah. What? Uh... So I have two for my top ten. Um, Bad times at the El Royale. Yep, that was another one. We had a blast seeing that in the, on the theater. I just had such a great time watching that movie. Oh, uh, that's not. It's not a great. It's not a great time necessarily. It's upsetting, but it's very uh, entertaining and powerful. It didn't get a lot of attention, but that was a movie that had like some legit cool plot twists that yeah. we did not see coming. And in a perfect world, I'd be able to include Cynthia Erivo and Jeff Bridges from that movie in my acting list, which I didn't have yeah. room for them, but so good. So good. And then my second honorable mention is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yeah, that was another one tough to, uh, tough to omit. 
It's uh, and then I had two that are my fun honorable mentions, which are Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, <laughs> which was way more fun than I expected it to be. Um, I went with a a friend and her teenage daughter. And we just kind of like were going to be silly and we were all sobbing at the end. Oh, no. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> like just in terms of an entertaining experience, you know what you're getting with that movie. And then I feel pretty. I really enjoyed, which was the Amy Schumer movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't see it. Got so much shit from the press about being a, a about body issues yeah and, and and so i didn't go see it in the theater because i was like oh i do not want to see a movie about that and then i saw it on a plane and i was like what that's the this is the exact opposite of what i read it was it's it's you know embracing uh self individualism and body portrayal you know that's good uh, and uh so so for that reason i felt like i wanted to say that out loud to the three people listening so that they could watch it if they haven't the good thing about comedies is a lot of times they aren't understood at the time that they come out and then kind of take on a life of their own on video, you know, yeah. later. So maybe that's a movie that will kind of get it just due as more people discover it later on. What are your honorable mentions? Um, well, my favorite doc of the year, uh, I have a number 11 for the year, so just missed it, which is Won't You Be My Neighbor. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, talking about emotionally devastated <laughs> like yeah. this was so great i i would have loved to also include mining the gap and free soul again I, I thought it was a great year for documentaries uh beale street also i have at number 12 so just missed my top 10 yeah um that's another movie that's just gorgeously done like incredible directorial choices there uh paddington 2 oh, is yeah. I didn't fucking see that awesome <laughs> uh maybe the funniest movie of the year i could uh, see that and then talk about black comedy, uh, the death of Stalin, uh, oh, Armando, uh, Iannucci, uh, just, you know, biting satire, uh, and Armando just biting satire right <laughs> in the balls. <laughs> uh, cool. Let's go to performances. And like some of the, some of the performances I was not able to include that I would have loved to. I, I already kind of talked about John David Washington, John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, Jeff Bridges. I didn't include Richard E. Grant or Melissa McCarthy. Like they're both yeah. amazing in that movie. There's so many good performances this year. Also, like if we covered the movie, then you can probably assume that we enjoy the performances. Yeah. Uh, so did you narrow it down to 10? I have 10 and then I have five honorable. <laughs> Give me your honorable mentions. Are you sure? Yeah. Or do you want to you want to like, do that do yeah. the list first and then we'll do mention yeah. the honorable mentions. Okay, who's your number 10? Uh uh Cynthia Revo for Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah. I mean, she's fucking killer. Like she's so good in that movie. And in Widows too. She is. Yeah, totally. She, I I still feel like this though Bad Times Widows she's a supporting character and she is totally solid and fantastic, but that's more of the other women's movies. And this movie is her movie. I think. Yes. Uh, she's a stage actress. She won the Tony for the playing the lead in the color purple, the musical. Uh, she's British and she's just starting to appear in movies and she is a mesmerizing performer. Yeah. And she gets to sing in mm -hmm. El Royale. Too. And the scenes that she has with Jeff Bridges in this film, you kind of mentioned this earlier, are, are just some of my favorite scenes of the year. It's a great, surprising relationship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, she should have been nominated for supporting actress. I think so. Yeah. Number 10, I have Josh Hamilton for eighth grade. Yeah. 
You have him on your list? I do. I'll tell you when it comes up. Cool. I mean, just like the ultimate, like, sweet dad role. Number nine on my list is Aquafina and Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, I <laughs> see. I wanted more Aquafina in this movie. Yeah. Like I felt like she didn't have enough screen time. She was amazing. She was so funny. Like every time she was on screen. Yeah. I was just, I can't wait to see what other stuff she does. Yeah. In, in film. <laughs> I really like Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of saw it begrudgingly a little bit and it was a really enjoyable movie. Cause you don't like rich people. Uh, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> or crazy people. <laughs> uh, uh, I know that they're crazy rich. They're not crazy, but maybe, uh, but because this, is this based on a series of books or something? I know like, that it's based on a book, whether that's a series or not, I'm not sure. What I felt from the movie is they're adding all these supporting characters, which of like, are, are their stories going to be told in the sequel or something? Cause yeah. it, it felt like, overblown like, like the cousin and her husband there's and, too much going on yeah, and i imagine I it is probably in service to the books i agree because if yeah. you're a fan of the books you want to see all those characters in, included but at the heart of it it's just a really lovely romantic comedy yeah and i totally cried at the end <laughs> yeah the scene with her and the mother is one of the best scenes that i saw all year yeah like it's just great but uh, Aquafina was definitely the breakout star of, of this and was yeah. one of the funniest roles of the year, I yeah, think. I yeah, I agree. Uh, I have Yalitza Aparicio at number nine. Okay. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about her already. Yep, from Roma. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, number eight, I have Topher Grace from Black Klansman. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's why. And I didn't put, oh, what's his name? Washington. John, John David Washington. John David Washington. Or Adam Driver and my top performances because I feel like they, we cover. I knew we would cover them in the movies, mm-hmm. so of course they're amazing performers. But like Topher Grace, I didn't know that was Topher Grace. And, I, and I told you after the credits, and rolled, it right? looks yeah. like after you said it, I was like, of course. But I haven't seen Topher Grace in so long that I forgot who Topher Grace was. Grace was, yeah. And so I was just like, who is this idiot? <laughs> like he so just sold me on what a smarmy, awful boring jerk he is yeah um i mean those are all the very minimum of what david duke is but david dukes is it duke duke Duke. yeah uh but in terms of his performance like it just really surprised me it was great and it was very funny and in the funny in the way that it made you sick to your stomach yeah and then you realize like evil is not, like not people who are monsters. It's just like people or, walking among us who are doing evil things and making yeah. evil choices every yeah. day. Yeah. Uh, I have Ethan Hawke for first reform at number eight. <sighs> I meant to see that. That was supposed, that was, did I not say that earlier? No, I did. I, I think you did. Yeah. I didn't get to see your I, boy. Ethan. I know. I know. He's your boy. When you watched it like a month ago, I was like, I can't be sad tonight. I knew it's going to make me sad <laughs> or whenever you watched it. It's something like I have mixed feelings about the movie. Yeah. Uh, first Oscar nomination, by the way, for Paul Schrader, writer of Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. He had never gotten a screenplay really? nomination before. Uh, I honestly don't know how you will think about it. I know you'll think Ethan is excellent in it because he's amazing. 
you may. I don't. I kind of don't want to talk about it because I know I'm going to see it, yeah. which isn't fair. I know. I, I won't reveal anything about the movie, just that it makes some interesting choices. Yeah, that's and what I've heard. I honestly don't know whether you will go there with it or not. Probably not. If it's the guy who wrote Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, <laughs> probably not. But which I think I knew. Yeah, and that's why I didn't want to watch it when you were watching. I it. think you will be. Uh, you will agree that's one of his great performances, though. Yeah, I wish he had gotten nominated just because I love that guy. Yeah. Okay. What's the next one? What number are we on? Eight. I said Topher Grace. So seven? Yeah. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. <laughs> what did she born. do this year? Was she in something? <laughs> and uh certainly like seven maybe is pretty far down the list. I mean, she was everything in that movie for me. <laughs> Obviously, we haven't talked about Stars Born yet. So we didn't either. Neither of us had it on our list or on our honorable mentions. When I was making my list and I was going through movies, it certainly was one that I wrote down. I did like it way better than I expected to. Um, I didn't love everything about it, but overall I thought it was a really entertaining movie to watch. Do you think it'll win for best original song? I think it definitely will. And I can't wait to watch them sing it. Uh, I've had that song in my head on loop for four months, Uh (laughs) which is awful. Um, I've listened to it a thousand times. Uh, But the scene, because since we're talking about scenes from movies, one of my favorite scenes from a movie this year is the scene in the parking lot when their first date, the first night, and uh, when she starts talking about that song and he helps her yeah. set it to a whatever melody. Anyways, yeah. uh, that scene in terms of a falling in love scene is like tops for me. <laughs> falling in love with each other. The moments when you're like, I love this. I'm, I'm in love with this person. Like it does a really good job. Just two fantastic performances at the heart of it. And Sam Elliott, too, who yeah. is heartbreaking in, in that movie. It was movie. such a good year for movies, you guys. It yeah. really was. The, just the fact that we're only talking about Star is Born now, I think, is indicative. Like, I, I think I have it at, like, number 20 for the year. Like, I really liked it. I think it takes a bit of a dip in the back yeah, half. But, I, I mean, Lady Gaga, I mean, it's a completely different role than Yulitsa Aparicio. But, uh, I mean... Easy to imagine that this is something that's very resonant and, and close to her. And, yeah. you know, who knows, like, what her range will be for future stuff. But she absolutely nails it. The emotional vulnerability and the uh, and the singing. Agreed. Uh, well, interesting, interestingly enough, number seven, I have Bradley Cooper for uh- Star is Born. <laughs> and that's how we see the world. <laughs> uh- it's a man's movie. <laughs> that's what it is. It's a story about a dude. Uh no, he's great in it, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. He really is. He really... I mean, you it's two beautiful people being beautiful, everybody. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? And falling in love. Yeah. And absolutely, he's really wonderful in it. I just... Gosh, I, I'm glad that they did it. I just... We've seen the story so many times. And then the liberties that they did take with the story, I was kind of like, why? <laughs> yeah. Like, for her to be clearly like a country rock singer and then all of a sudden to be this turn into lady gaga yeah to turn into (laughs) lady gaga was such a strange choice and then the thing at the end that happens to him when it happens when he chooses for it to happen is such a strange choice the movie's been criticized for being rockist (laughs) what does that mean (laughs) well like uh 
like sexist or racist, but in favor of rock music. Like, cause it, it's kind of like an old, like white men's, you know, uh, establishment thing of like rock is, you know, the true music, right. you know, of people who are real artists and the, uh, the idea that like pop can't be real art, you know, cause yeah. it's usually made by, uh, gay people and women, you know, and, and minorities, right, right, you know. Right. Um, so I think there's probably something tied into that there. Uh, I saw the Streisand Christofferson version not long before this one came out, and that movie is a piece of shit. <laughs> I like it. It is so bad. Uh, but yeah, this movie was uh, a real pleasant surprise. And interesting that it seems to have like, taken a little dip in estimation, but it's probably been out too long yeah. before the Oscars because it felt like so much good it, stuff was such, it was such a cultural phenomenon. When I saw it, I was like, oh, that's that's going to win Best Actor, it's Best Actress, everything. Best Picture, Best Director. I was like, for, I thought for yeah. sure when we left the theater. But then, yeah, there's so many fantastic movies. Okay. Who do you on. have at number six? Juliette Binoche. Let the sun shine in. Juliette Binoche. Yeah. One of my absolute favorites. I, I know. I saw this movie and really did not care for oh, it. Oh, you did see it. I did see it. We didn't talk about it. Yeah. You didn't like it? I really did oh, not I like it. I loved it. Uh, this is a French movie. Uh, I love that. Claire, I loved the foreign film and you didn't. It's weird. Yeah. It is weird. I love that about it. Claire Denis, who is, uh, one of the, uh, the great French directors. This is a story about a woman, just kind of a middle-aged woman looking for love. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what it is. Yeah. In kind of the self-sabotaging ways in which she puts herself through, um, she, my, my interpretation of the film is that she really gets off on that, those early moments of passion and like endorphins, you know, and can't commit after that stuff starts to taper off. And so she just keeps breaking her heart and the hearts of the people that she's with mm. chasing this romantic feeling. Uh, she's heartbreaking in it. And I, I love her. And I just, when I saw this, I was living in Portland and, I don't know. I went on a rainy day and it just transported me to another time <laughs> and another place and, and another time, not meaning like a different era, but just she's like probably in her late forties or early fifties, you know, yeah. and another time in life, I guess. And I just, I don't know. I could so sympathize with her, but also be mad at her for hurting herself so much. It was interesting to think about, you know, the process of, Falling in love or falling in lust, you know, isn't really different whether you're a teenager or whether you're exactly. an older, older person, you know, so like that she's going through the same range of emotions that anybody would. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Julia Binoche has always been one of my favorite actresses. She's, she's worth seeing not, in anything. Whether you liked the plot or not, she's amazing in yeah. this movie. It's very episodic. It's really just yeah. a series of scenes with various men. And who's yeah. the, the ending one? Gerard Depardieu. Gerard Depardieu. Who looks a lot different than when he was in Florette of the Solalola. Uh, yeah. What was that called? <laughs> Florette of the Solalola. <laughs> which, which movie was it that we covered? Jean de Florette, Manon of the Spring. There you go. Yeah. Uh, number six, I have Rachel Weiss for the favorite. Mm, yeah. I was not able to include Emma in my top 10, though I thought she was great. But, yeah. uh, I mean, Rachel Weiss is also one of my all-time favorite actresses. Yes, we know you like brunettes. <laughs> you have accents. We get it. Uh, but she, I mean, she's so good in this. She is. She really is. And she's so understated. Um, I think Emma Stone's is a showier role, but Rachel Weiss's is probably 
the more challenging in the sense that she has to be in control so often Mm -hmm. in the film. And then her character, we won't spoil it, but her character just takes a surprising turn and like kind of discovering like who she really is. That was very moving. I thought, yeah, she's not in my, on my list, but certainly, I mean, the favorite could have been, I just love the performances. I'm just trying to give, yeah. Dues to other people that whose movies we didn't cover. So that was six for me. Where are we? Are we on six or five? For five. You? Okay. Who do you have? Regina Hall for Support the Girls. Oh, man. She was great. She I, was I really wish great. I could have included her. I didn't really care for the movie that much. Yeah. The movie we thought was okay, um, but we both agreed that she was awesome in it. I feel like she could have been nominated. I don't really know why she, she was got some awards season consideration. This is a uh, an indie movie about... A Hooters-ish restaurant in Austin or somewhere in Texas, right? Yeah. And it's just like following this manager around on a typical day of dealing with the girls who wear these skimpy outfits at this right. restaurant. My main criticism was that we lost her character for too long. It started yeah. to follow other plot points. And she is just so natural and real and just creates this really three-dimensional, wonderful character. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and the journey that her character goes on in one day is the journey that many characters in many movies go on in years. <laughs> yeah. So she does a an awesome job. One of my favorite scenes from the year. The last scene. The last scene of this movie on a rooftop. I won't spoil it. Nothing major happens, but it made me laugh really hard, and it felt so real and relatable and something that could happen to me in real life. Yeah. Uh it, so for that, I would I would recommend this movie. That move that last scene almost made me really like really like the movie. <laughs> you know that I had kind of lukewarm feelings about, but yeah, the, I see it for her performance. I believe it's streaming on Hulu. Sometimes now. I'll finish a movie and I'll be like, "Huh, I didn't really like that," and then I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, and I think that I was thinking about this one for that a means while. something. Yeah. Uh, number five, I have Thomasine McKenzie for Leave No Trace. Oh, okay. So she's a young, uh, New Zealand actress. I think she's only 18 now. Uh, but you know, I already kind of talked about this movie, but she's, uh, she's really the emotional heart of it. And she gives a, a very kind of understated, real performance, you know, uh, like, like you said, the, it's, you know, same director as Winner's Bone. So it's like the, the tone of it is very kind of gritty and real, but also examining these people who are not, often you know who are kind of living on the fringes of society yeah um but uh and then ben foster plays her dad is amazing as well but i I really was blown away by her performances and thought it was one of the best teen performances i had ever seen yeah i've only seen half the movie but i would agree that she's pretty much a breakout i mean and that's what jennifer lawrence was in winter's bone so who knows number four number four i have john chu in searching (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> John Cho? Oh, that's what I meant. I wrote it down wrong. Yeah. Apologies, John. John Chewing? John, no, John, John Cho. Chewing. John Cho in Searching. Yeah. That is such a surprising choice, but we watched that together. It, it's a really like inventive, entertaining thriller. It's it, so fun. It all takes place on screens. Yeah. I really enjoy I was When I sat down to watch that with you, I was like, I don't know. And then I was totally in it and excited about it. And I thought it paid off really well. Um, I mean, there were some problems with it, but for it to all take place on the computer. Yeah. So most of it's like Skype that he's, I mean, he's incredible. It's a great performance. I, it really he made is. me cry yeah. and he's like on Skype on the computer. 
<laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, if you're just interested in movies that are trying to kind of think about what could a movie be beyond what we normally see it as, then this is a great place to start. <laughs> yeah, I'm always interested in gimmick movies just to see what they do with the gimmick, but this took it further. Uh, but it, it, it's got to depend on good performances. Yeah. And Deborah Messing was surprisingly good was in this great. as well. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as she came on screen, I didn't recognize her. Yeah. Um, but I think he's, I hope that he gets other parts because of his work in this. Yeah. I've seen him in stuff over the years. Yeah. But this is another like dad daughter thing. Like this, that's another recurring thing of like, uh, his emotional connection to his daughter, you know, really comes across even though it's, it's all played out on his computer screen. Well, what I was going to say is that I hope that he gets better roles in the future because he's like really a leading man. Yeah. In this. He was great. Yeah. Number four, I have Olivia Coleman for the favorite. Nice. Do you still still have her on your list? I do. Too? I bet you do. We'll we'll talk about her uh, a little more. And and we did your number four was John Cho? Yeah. Okay. My number three is Lady Gaga <laughs> for the Star is Born. Great. Number three for you? Jesse Plemons for Game Night. <laughs> What? <laughs> you love a good comedic performance. <laughs> You've got more comedy on your list than I do. He's so funny in this movie. You, it's ridiculous. You're right. I mean, <laughs> I enjoyed this movie way more than I thought that I would. Yeah, me too. I started watching on a plane and I was laughing so hard. And then we got home and we watched it together. Yeah. And Jesse Plemons is ridiculous. Ridiculous in Game Night, and he steals the movie. He really does with his dumb dog. It's so <laughs> funny. And he's kind of heartbreaking in it too. Yeah, he's oh, he's so sweet. You want to like hug his character, and he's so awful and awkward, and it's just hilarious. Oh, uh, that's great. <laughs> uh, number two, I have Viola Davis for Widows. Nice. I feel like we covered her already. Yep. Number two, I have Josh Hamilton for eighth grade. Oh, nice. He is my, I, when I sat down and I was like, what are my favorite performances? He popped into my mind right away. Yeah. He, oh, that scene outside at the end with him and his daughter, I just sobbed. Yeah. He's great. I, again, like, I hope that he gets more work after this film. Anything that like reinvents a trope, you know, it kind of like yeah. reinventing the trope of like the, the sweet but kind of clueless, uh, romantic comedy teen movie dad. Yeah. You know, and the, and just gave it so much, the writing and his performance just gave that character so much depth. Uh, and you really cared about him. So your number one must be Olivia Coleman. My number one is Olivia Coleman. Yeah. That's yeah. my favorite performance of the year. The favorite oh. is my favorite performance of the year. Uh, with favorite with a you. Uh, why is that? Um, she, yeah, a surprising and upsetting and heartbreaking and like you feel all the things for her character. Yeah. You run the gamut of emotions. You're on her side. You're against her. She's the villain. She's the, um, leading lady. She's the, yeah, she's the ingenue. <laughs> she's, uh, and then this, the scene where she's walking down the hall. I mean, the true story of Queen Anne is that she lost 17 babies. Yeah. Whether through miscarriage or early on in their lives. And there's a moment where she's just walking down the hall sobbing and she goes to grab a baby that's going by in the arms of another woman. And it's like, <sighs> from start to finish, Olivia Coleman. 
Yeah, I mean, she really, she's got such great range as an actress, uh, period. And we've seen her in so much stuff that we've, we've enjoyed over the years. But you, she really gets to show her comedic range, which is considerable. But she has such emotional depth, too. And this character was so surprising and original and just a different portrayal of a royal than I've ever seen yeah. uh, on, on the big screen. Who's your number one? Tony Collette for Hereditary. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't see Hereditary, and I won't see it. Holy shit, Carla. (laughs) This movie, I think, is a masterpiece of sorts. Uh, (laughs) I I saw it in the theater, and I came out of that movie thinking, oh, she's the front runner. Like, there's no way she's not going to win (laughs) the the Best Actress Oscar. And then I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle uh, a little bit. I know she was a contender, but... Uh, but it's a horror movie and it, it's just one of those genres that's kind of relegated to the sidelines a little bit. But this is really a, a family drama. Yeah. Uh, masquerading as a horror movie and about just a, a family going through grief and distress. And she gives like the most unhinged, intense performance, but she's also very funny in parts, you know. Th- yeah. Um, I heard she was great. You you fully expected her to be nominated, right? I really did. Yeah, I I, th- I don't think you were alone. I read that a lot. Hereditary has some flaws. Like uh, obviously, it didn't make my my top ten, but I think it is a movie that's going to stick with people and is going to be in like the horror film conversation for for years because it's it's very. It, well, it, it is derivative in some places, but it's derivative in interesting ways, you know, yeah. but it, but the end result is something very unique. I had a friend tell me scene by scene what happened in that movie. <laughs> I'm not you, kidding. It I, took him like 20 or 25 minutes. And you're like, no way am I, I like, going to watch no, that. I'm never going to watch that movie. There is one clip of her main scene from the movie that is not, does not involve any horror elements whatsoever that I would like to show you just so you can get a taste of her performance. Okay. Okay. Uh, Honorable mentions. Yes. I've got five. Uh, Yalatsa Aparicio. Uh huh. Did I say that right? From Roma. Uh, But of course she'd be in the top 10. These are all the same, you guys. Richard E. Grant from Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, Elizabeth Debicki from Widows. Yep. Um, I feel like she was just as relevant to that story as Viola Davis. Yeah. What what did a interesting original character too and the the scene at the end that i was talking about invo- involves viola and elizabeth uh laura dern in the tale oh yeah i didn't know you saw that yeah i saw that oh man that that was rough yeah tough to watch but she's tough. an amazing actress and blake lively in a simple favor <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, Who mo- knew? that movie was really surprising and, I enjoyed that and movie. enjoyable too yeah and the same lead dude from Crazy Rich Asians who you're in love with. I love him. <laughs> um, Henry Golding. Let's do some quick Oscar picks. Let's do them. So best supporting actor this year. Uh, we have the last two winners, Mahershal Ali uh, for Green Book and Sam Rockwell for Vice. They won the last two years. We have Adam Driver uh, for Black Klansmen. We have, and then we have a couple veterans who've never been nominated. Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born. Who do you want to win? I want Richard E. Grant to win, though I'd be fine with Sam Elliott winning. Me too. Exactly that. I think that Mahershala, Mah- Mahershala Ali will win, and I think that I love him as well, so whatever. <laughs> he's the, he's the, the overwhelming favorite. 
We're, we're watching True Detective. And he's blowing my mind every week. I think I said in the middle of the last episode, this guy's the best actor working right yeah, now. Yeah, he is. You know? He's incredible. Green, so whatever. I'm fine with him winning. <laughs> Green Book is a piece of shit, and he's incredible. I did not see Green <laughs> Book. It, oh, it's terrible, but... A lot of uh, people like it. Yeah. If if he wins, I will not begrudge him that because he's a great actor. Uh, I I think I'm emotionally just leaning towards Sam Elliott in this one. Yeah. Uh, supporting actress, you have Rachel Vice and Emma Stone for the favorite. You have Amy Adams for Vice. Uh, you have Marina Di Tavira, who is the mother from Roma. Yeah. And you have Regina King, who is the favorite for If Beale Street Could Talk. I would like for either Rachel Weiss or Marina from Roma to win. Okay. Um, I think Regina King will win. And I'd be fine with that too, because I haven't seen <laughs> Beale Street Could Talk yet. Uh, I think Regina King will win as well, though, you know, Amy Adams, this is her sixth nomination. She's never won. But if she wins for Vice, she it's... does not deserve it for this movie. Ugh, and the movie was not good. Who did you want to win? Uh, Rachel Weiss. Okay, great. Best actor, you have Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate, Viggo Mortensen for Green Book, Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born, Christian Bale for Vice, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. I would just like to say I could give a shit about any of these performances except for Bradley Cooper, so. He's our favorite, definitely, but is he going to win? I think Rami Malek will win. I think Rami Malek will win too, and. Ugh, I hated that movie. We kind of talked about, you know, uh, you said acting to you is about emotional connection with the character. Yeah. Uh, but the Oscars goes for, you know, you've got Christian Bale, uh, as Dick Cheney and Rami Malik as Freddie Mercury. I thought they both gave good performances and yeah, I, they were I mean, convincing as those characters, but transformation is way overrated. Yeah. I agree. And I like Rami Malik as a performer and I thought he was good in this movie. <sighs> I don't know. I just didn't connect with this movie, so I don't understand the fanfare. But it doesn't then mean that he shouldn't win anything. So I apologize for saying that. <laughs> but I think he will win, too. Uh, though a Christian Bale won, it wouldn't surprise me also. Yeah. Uh, best Actress. You have Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yelitsa Aparicio for Roma. Lady Gaga for A Star is Born. Olivia Coleman for The Favorite. Glenn Close for The Wife. The Favorite is Glenn Close. <laughs> everybody yeah, everybody think thinks that- she's going to win this. I think that I would like for Olivia Coleman to win, and I think that Glenn Close will win, and that's fine. Olivia Coleman's going to be nominated for something else again soon enough, I think. I would be cool with either Gaga or Coleman winning. Uh, I think it's going to Glenn Close as well for another movie that I did not care for. Didn't care for it either. That she gave a a great performance. Yeah. But it's a career. She's great. It's a career achievement award, and that yeah. happens at the Oscars all the time. Which is why who gives a shit about the Oscars except for Craig Kukowski? Direct. Okay. Director, we both want Quaron and he's going to win, right? Yep. Yeah. Some people think Spike might take it. That'd be cool. That would be cool too. Um, that would, that would be an upset, but, uh, e- either way, I would not be surprised if Spike Lee won. He has already won the career award at the Oscars. Uh, if Quaron wins, it'll be five out of six years that a Mexican director has won. Whoa. Because Inyartu won twice. Quaron won already once. And Del Toro won last year. Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, the last 10 Best Director winners, only one has been an American male. Wow. Uh, That's great. Two Americans have won. Catherine Bigelow was one of them. Now we could just get some more women nominated. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I didn't know that. Thank you. Now I care about the Oscars again. (laughs) 
Picture. You've got Bohemian Rhapsody. Nope. Vice. Nope. Green Book. I didn't see it. A Star is Born. Black Panther. The Favorite. Black Klansman. Roma. Uh, looking at the odds makers, Roma is the favorite, but the s- number two is Green Book. And this that would be colossally think, embarrassing. I don't think Green Book's going to win. I think it's going to be Roma. I would go so far as to bet it will be Roma. Okay. So we want Roma, and we also think it will win. Yep. Carla, anything else you want to say about the year in film 2018? Nope. Thanks for making me do this again, though. No, I, I, I like this episode, and it always feels stressful to prepare for it to get everything you've seen, but I always enjoy doing it. Your choices are always so fun and surprising, and we all – last year, we had the whole big uh, divide over three billboards. Which, which I still am behind. You loved and I hated. We didn't have anything like that this year. Mm-hmm. It feels like we were – pretty much in agreement uh, of the the major stuff and we don't get to watch the oscars together this year no that's okay we'll we'll t- we'll chat we'll text <laughs> okay so we'll be in two different cities for the oscars but uh craig's listeners i hope you enjoy the uh, the ceremony and i hope all of our picks come true carla we're gonna resume craig's list in a couple of weeks uh and we're up to my number 16 movie uh, this is another movie by FFC. What? Francis Ford Coppola. Oh boy. This is a 1979 movie about the Vietnam War featuring Martin Sheen yeah. and Marlon Brando and it's called Apocalypse Now. Cool. You excited? Yep, sure. Okay. <laughs> Craig's listeners, we'll see you in a couple weeks for Apocalypse Now. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.